Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is Luke 15. There is just an undeniable power in story. We use story to convey messages of meaning. Even we use story to teach children um, truth and to teach them good and, and evil. And we see Jesus use story in many of his parables. And today we will look at perhaps the greatest story ever told. And you might say, well, wait, isn't that the gospel? Well, yes, but the gospel is a true story. This is a story that we don't see any indication that this was a real event that happened, but it is something that is full of meaning. Uh, Even uh, one of the most famous stories in the history of the world, even uh, many non-Christians will be familiar with the story or will use phrases really that come from this story. And I'm talking about the parable of the prodigal son, which we will see in Luke 15 today. Now, as we look at Luke 15 uh, and we think of the parable of the prodigal son, it's good to see this whole chapter. You know, we remember the chapter divisions in the Bible aren't inspired. So it's not as if Luke was writing and write, all right, I'm done with chapter 14, chapter 15. Uh, Those were put in later. And obviously they're very helpful for us to navigate the Bible. And even if we're reading the Bible to be on the same page together, but this is a good chapter division. Uh, Chapter 15 of Luke presents one big cohesive thought told in three stories. And you see that starting in verse one, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So uh, that is the context here. You have tax collectors and sinners drawing near to Jesus. And again, I think it's an important distinction. Biblically, Jesus wasn't just hanging out and shooting the breeze with unrepentant sinners. Uh, These are people that really are turning from their sin to come to Jesus. Uh, They want to come and hear Jesus and they want to follow him. It is the impression that we get throughout the gospels because this is very similar even when you think of Matthew, who's a tax collector and he leaves and he goes to follow Jesus and then he's bringing his friends to Jesus. And that's that's the kind of thing that gets the religious leaders all in a twist. Uh, Oh, he's got tax collectors and sinners coming to him. And so Jesus answers that objection with three stories. The parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, and the parable of the lost son, or better known as the prodigal son. And let's look at each of these now and see how they all come in on that theme. The first one, what it man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. So even there, again, notice he's talking about sinners who repent, who 
turn. But one emphasis that you see in all three of these stories is the joy that heaven experiences over repentance. And that is what he is getting at the religious leaders for. You're not sharing in that joy. You shouldn't be complaining that these sinners are coming to me. You should be rejoicing. That's what you should be doing. That, that's the rebuke of these stories to the religious leaders. So the theme of the joy of heaven goes through all three of these stories. The first two stories also um, emphasize the search, um, the, the search for what is lost. And you see that in the second parable, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I tell you the coin that I had, for I found the coin that I have lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So again, you see that thread of joy, but in the first two parables, especially you see the motif of searching. Uh, the, The shepherd is searching for the lost sheep. The woman is searching for the lost coin. And what did Jesus come to do? He came to seek and to save that which was lost. So the parables also show what is the mission of Jesus. He is seeking to seek and to save that which is lost. And when a sinner returns, when a sinner repents, there is rejoicing in heaven that should be shared by all godly people. And then we get to the most famous story. And this one has the most layers. These first two are more simple. This one's a little more complex and has really a variety of factors in the story. And you're familiar with the story. There's the man with two sons and the younger comes and says in verse 12, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. And so really there are three important characters in this parable, and they all point to a specific people or group of people. Um, and really, the main character, uh, you know, the story is really told of the, the or known as the prodigal son. When really it, it sheds more light on the character of God, the Father. Uh, the Father clearly represents God in this story, and you see His mercy and His generosity and His joy over his son coming home. Uh, The son really represents a repentant sinner, right? He goes off and he squanders his his inheritance with the ESV says reckless living or uh, prodigal living. That's where the idea of prodigal comes from and the name comes from. It's this wasteful, sinful living and he ends up destitute because he has ruined his life. But then he repents, he turns and he goes home and he even comes ready to confess uh, what he has done wrong and even just hopes to be one of his father's hired servants. Uh, But then that's where you see the character of God shine through in verse 20. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. Now, if you dig into the cultural background of this story, you will understand that everything uh, that goes on in verse 20 is undignified for this father to do, for him to run and embrace and kiss his prodigal son 
that that's not what people in that society would have done. And it really shows an extravagant love that the father had for his son. And then the son can't even get through his rehearsed speech um, of asking to be a servant because the father cuts him off and says, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this, my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found and they began to celebrate. Uh, you see the joy again in heaven coming through. But then you get to the third character, the older brother, and he is not happy about this. In fact, verse 27 says he was angry and he refuses to go into the party. Who's the brother representing? Well, that's also pretty clear. The brother is representing the Pharisees, the religious leaders, those that they're not rejoicing over the tax collectors and sinners coming to Jesus. They've got their nose stuck up about it. But the father seeks to reason with the older brother to say, no, we should rejoice. Verse 32, it was fitting to be glad, to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that is where the story ends ends. So we think about the then of this story, um, and we see clearly Jesus was telling these stories as a rebuke to the Pharisees and the religious leaders. He is showing them their error by sharing with them the joy of heaven over sinners who repent. Now, there's a lot that's always true from that. Heaven still rejoices when one sinner repents, and it is still wrong to turn your nose up at sinners who repent. And so what are um, some of the now applications as we consider these incredible and rich stories from Luke 15? Well, one should be that you should seek to share in the joy of heaven by calling sinners to repentance. I mean, that that is what is the cause of joy. And if it was Jesus's mission to seek and to save that which was lost, that, that is a mission now he has called us to share in through making disciples. And, and so we need to respond to that by participating in that mission. Uh, another thing that we need to do now is, well, the, the same thing that that caused uh, these parables to be told is still a problem today. People can hold their nose up towards sinners. And I think that's something we need to be wary of. Even as we look out at the world and see unrepentant sinners, there's definitely a part of us that should feel compassion towards them and a desire to seek and save them. Uh, And really, not that we personally save them, but point them to the Savior. Um, But then also, as people come to Christ, it's easy to hold up your nose. Well, that person, they come from a really sketchy background. Uh, I don't know if I like that they're coming to my church now, or, you know, it seems like they're still working through some things. They're a baby Christian. There's not a lot they understand. I don't know if I want to be around them. That doesn't reflect the heart of Christ. And that's where we do need to be careful in our world, uh, you know, People have abused the idea of, hey, come just as you are uh, to make it mean, basically, you don't need to repent to follow Christ. Come just as you are. All are welcome, even if you are just openly continuing in your sin. That is not what the Bible teaches. But on the other hand, there is a real problem of people coming to Christ and not being welcomed. 
um, being ostracized because of their past. That also is not biblical. That is not God's heart. So don't hold your nose up towards sinners. And a third application from this is, uh, if you are a Christian, it should be impossible to read these stories without being overwhelmed with gratitude. You were the lost sheep. You were the lost coin. You were the lost son. But you've been found. You've been welcomed home by the Father with grace and extravagance that you did not deserve. We should not be able to read these parables and not be moved with gratitude for our Heavenly Father and what He has done to welcome us home, even though we were lost sinners. You once were dead, but now you're alive. You were lost, but now you are found. And so I want to encourage you to praise God for His mercy and grace that He has lavished upon you if you are a believer. This is a great story, and we shouldn't just read it and appreciate the literary quality of it. We should read it and be moved to our core, to seek and save the lost, to not hold our nose up towards sinners, and to express our own gratitude for the mercy of the Father. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out revivalfromthebible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to compassbible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.